we're finishing our series on the parables of Jesus uh, that we titled, Thy Kingdom Come. And uh, this week, we're looking at the parable told in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, the parable of the inopportune neighbor, the neighbor who comes at night. The Lord's Prayer can be found in both Matthew and in Luke, but only in Luke is it followed by this parable about prayer. And it's a parable, I think, that expresses an aspect of prayer that's very important. So the, the prayer itself, uh, sometimes called the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer, uh, begins, Our Father who art in heaven. And uh, it's a metaphor that's used for God. It's very common, and it's one that we hold kind of near and dear. Uh, but for some people, um, the idea of God as Father is not an easy thing to swallow. Um, perhaps they had an absentee father. Perhaps their father was kind of abusive. And if you've had a negative experience with your father, um, I can see or I can uh, appreciate the fact that that metaphor might be one that's difficult for you. But we're hoping that we can kind of redeem that metaphor a bit, that uh, you could experience God as, as a father that is a healthy father, a loving father, a caring father, a present father, not an absent father. Uh, my father... I think was a, was a good father, and uh, I'd like to kind of um, share a little story uh, from my teenage years that uh, might express um, the extent to which that I think my dad was a good dad. So, uh, I, and, and in some ways, I wish you could have known the 16-year-old me, and in some ways, I'm really glad that you'll never have a chance to know the 16-year-old me. So I was pretty geeky. Um, I was about the same height but probably 80 pounds lighter. Um, I was away from the wind. And uh, I was a little absent-minded. I'm still a little absent-minded, I guess, but even more then. And yet to kind of grow into myself, both physically and emotionally. So when I was uh, 16, my father opened a pizza restaurant, uh, named it Roberto's, after me, Roberto. I know, it's, it's, a, it's a little, um, I don't know if it's going to be racist or not, but certainly it's ethnocentric. You know, when, when Appalachian folks, you know, speak of foreign food, uh, we mention things like tacos, you know, it's what the Mexicans eat, or pizza, it's what the Italians eat. Um, the very fact that we called them Italians says a lot about us. <laughs> so in any case, my dad opened Roberto's. And uh, we had a good friend who had a similar restaurant in our town and in the next town over. So for us to open one, we had to open it kind of two towns over from where we lived. It was a pretty good commute. And uh, one day I get a phone call uh, on the regular phone, like that had a cord on it, you know, that, and the phone was connected to the, to the uh, wall in the kitchen. And it was my dad, and he's like, I need you to run down to CJ's. That's the other local pizza place. I need you to pick up a stick of salami and get here as fast as you can. Well, that's going to be at least an hour to get to CJ's, to get, to get over to where I was headed. But they, were, they had run out of salami and they needed it for the subs. And so I get down there. Uh, Dad had called ahead. And, they, you know, they hand you this three-foot stick of salami, you know, pretty big. And I uh, stick it in my dad's truck. And off I go. So I looked down at the gas gauge, and it was, it was low, very low, not enough to get there. So I pull into the local gas station, literally the one gas station that we had. Uh, and, uh, you know, everybody kind of speaks to everybody. And I, I try to fill up the gas tank, and it won't 
it won't take any more gas. It's like it's full. Like, what am I doing wrong? I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong. And, and then I realized that Dad's truck had two, two gas tanks. Um, and I guess one of them was full and one of them was empty. One of those things you could switch. So I was embarrassed at that point, so I didn't want to kind of pull around and fill up. So I just jumped in the truck and headed down the road. I'm, I'm a good 30, 45 minutes away by this point, and I'm, I'm really running on fumes. And so I, I pull into a gas station, and I fill up the other tank, which obviously empty because I couldn't fill out how to switch the tanks. And I'm another five minutes down the road, and the car, the truck just stops, like the engine has locked up and I've coasted to the side. And it hits me, oh yeah, this is a diesel. <laughs> and I, you know, I knew what the diesel tank was in my town, but I had pulled up to the wrong one on the way there, and I had put gasoline in my dad's diesel engine. And it was just, it was just locked up. So uh, I do what any good 16-year-old would do. I grab my stick of salami, I started hitchhiking. This is uh, before, before cell phones. And so there I am, you know, on Interstate 77, somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Well, near, near Stony Gap, for what it's worth. And uh, this car pulls over, sure enough. Who picks up a 16-year-old with a th uh, three-foot stick of salami? I'm not sure. But he, um, he pulls over. I jump in. Um, and his a wife and little kid are in the back seat. I'm thinking, oh, this must be safe. But I could tell she's nervous. Like, you know, I don't know what they thought I was going to do with my salami. But. <laughs> so I told him where I was headed. Uh, we go through the tunnel, and he should have got off at the next exit, but he didn't. And I'm like, oh, no, they're like abducting me or something. <laughs> well, anyway, it turns out he wasn't from the area. I told him where I was going, but I should have told him to get off, and I hadn't. So I had him get off at the next exit, and lo and behold, there's nothing there. So we end up driving out into the woods. And now he's scared to death. I'm scared to death. Eventually, we come up on another highway. Oh, drop me off. We're now the next town past where, where the pizza restaurant is. So he, he's, he's now back on the road. God bless him. He's probably been telling this story for years, too. So uh, again, before cell phones. So I go to the payphone, and I try to call the restaurant. And there was an operator on the other end that said um, it would be so much for the first minute. So I didn't, I didn't have however much that was to put into the machine, you know, the payphone. Uh, I, had, I had 50 cents at two quarters. And she said, well, it's uh, whatever, a dollar and something for the first minute. And I said, I don't, even know, I don't need a whole minute. Can you just give me 50 cents worth? <laughs> She's like, it doesn't work that way. I'm like, well, I, I'm, this is an emergency. She says, well, if it's an emergency, why can't you call collect? I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> call collect. So I said, all right, we want to do that. Call collect. And so they, she makes the connection. And of course, they don't let you talk at first. The other person has to like, receive the charge. And you know, it's you know, one of the workers. You know, Hello, Roberto's Pizza. Will you accept a collect call from, from Robbie? She goes, we, this is a business. We don't accept collect calls. I'm like. <laughs> I'm telling the operator, I'm like, you tell her to get my dad. <laughs> I need to talk. So, um, so she, the operator's laughing at this time, and she goes, well, I think this is the owner's son. Um, I, I think you should, you should accept this call. So sure enough, my dad gets on the phone, and I'm way late at this point. He probably thought I was dead somewhere. 
Um, and he's like, uh, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm in Princeton. Really? Yeah, I'm at the Exxon, by, by the highway. He goes, all right, I'll be there in a few minutes. And so dad, dad pulls up a little later. And uh, he's like, uh, what happened? I'm like, um, I put gas in the truck. And it's, it's in Stony Gap. And he's like, oh. So we get, in the, we get in the other car. We drive all the way back to the truck. And he's like, where are the keys? I had locked the keys in the truck. So we have to call a tow truck and a locksmith. They tow the truck. You have to like drain all the gas out and put diesel in and then blow the diesel fuel back through the engine. It was kind of the most expensive stick of salami anybody has ever spent. And uh, I had a pretty good expectation that this was going to be the end of my life. And as it turned out, he was incredibly gracious. I'm, I'm not sure I don't have, just how scared he was that I hadn't made it because I was so late or, uh, or what. Um, but there was no sense of fear. There was no sense of threat. There was a sense of love and of acceptance and of, hey, here's a great learning opportunity for you, son. Don't lock the keys in the truck. Don't put gas in diesel engines. Don't hitchhike on the interstate. You know, if you do hitchhike, get off at the right exit, not the wrong exit. So anyway. Um, Sometimes, you know, as a parent myself, I, I have um, been a good parent and, and sometimes not as good. Uh, sometimes we joke at the house that our two older girls kind of grew up in a different home than our two younger girls, which is interesting because they're actually evenly dispersed. Um, but uh, again, kind of a personal story, um, but more transparent than maybe you want to know. When I was younger, and we just had the two, um, I kind of struggled a bit with anger and aggression. And it wasn't something that I would ever show, like the people at church or the people at my job. It's an easy thing sometimes to be aggressive towards your children um, or your, I don't know, your dog, because they can't, they can't really fight back. Um, I think this can happen uh, far too often, uh, misplaced aggression. You know, you get mad at the boss, you get mad at the job, you're mad at traffic. You know, you can't actually run your car into somebody else's car. You can't tell your boss off. Um, but you sure can just let it go on your kids. It's like you need a release valve to release that pressure, and you don't have it somehow, and so it just pops out in the wrong ways. And so, unfortunately, my, my two older girls um, had an expression they called the evil eye. And it's, yeah, I mean, it sounds funny, um, but it wasn't really. Because when they said evil eye, it meant a duck and hide, right? Dad, dad's on a rampage, and you, you don't want to get in the way. Um, and I'm not proud of that. Uh, I am uh, pleased uh, that uh, through uh, the Lord's grace and certainly Angela's influence and maybe my own maturity, uh, the two younger ones don't really know what that is, you know? 
they hear the older ones talk about the evil eye, and it sounds like a joke. Um, not to say that sometimes I, I don't uh, still uh, have my, my own issues. Um, you, you know the term hangry, right? <laughs> you're so hungry, you're angry. Uh, I, don't, I don't suffer from that too much, but sometimes I do uh, angry clean. Um, like, when I, when I get in a cleaning mode, it's, it's a bit of a, um, I don't know, bulldozer, I don't know, charging bull um, expression or, or mode that I get in. But hopefully that too, the Lord will work with me. But here's, here's what I want you to know, that our Father, our Heavenly Father, is, is, uh, does not have anger issues. Um, doesn't get impatient. Doesn't get bored. Uh, doesn't um, get aggressive. That our, our heavenly Father is not is not like that, is not like that at all. Um, in fact, some in some ways we need we need other metaphors uh, to talk about God because God is so kind of different than we are, uh, so much more, so much better, uh, so much other. Um, like even in even in this parable. Uh, in the parable, you know, the friend comes knocking at the door, and he's like, no, go away. I'm in bed with my kids. And, the, you know, the neighbor keeps knocking, and so finally the guy gets up and, you know, gives him the bread. It's not like um, God's disinterested, and you've prayed for something, and he's like, well, you know, I'm already in bed, <laughs> right? You don't, you don't uh, when you start to pray, it's not like you're waking God up, um, God, God's not kind of too busy with somebody else. Uh, that, that part of the parable is not um, an appropriate analogy. The analogy, and we'll get to this in a minute, has to do with persistence. So um, when we pray, I, I don't want us to think that somehow we're coming up with a good idea that God would not have had otherwise, Right? As if to say, oh, God, you should have thought about this. Why don't you heal this kid? Oh, well, yeah, of course. I'm glad you prayed for it. I wouldn't have thought of it otherwise. I mean, who do we think we're praying to? I mean, we think that God's just sitting up in heaven waiting to see how many Facebook likes a prayer request has. Like, oh, man, 99. Had it been 100, I was going to give that person that job. But they just got 99, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, C.S. Lewis, um, you know who he is, and I'm sure you know a fair amount about his life. He didn't get married until late in life, and his wife, Joy, uh, contracted cancer and, uh, and passed away not long after they were married. But when she was sick, uh, he was praying a lot. And, and one of uh, Jack, that's what his friends called him, one of Jack's friends um, from the university who wasn't a Christian would tease him now and then about his Christianity. And he said one day, he's like, Jack, you still praying? And, and C.S. Lewis is like, yeah, I am. And he goes, well, have you changed God yet? And uh, Lewis's response was, I don't pray to change God. I pray to change me. I think we see this in Jesus as well. Jesus prayed a lot and a lot of things happened. 
I mean, you, next time you kind of read through the Gospels or reading the Gospels, pay attention to how often Jesus is praying. He's getting up early to pray. He's going away to the mountain to pray. He's leaving the group to pray. Um, they're getting together, and he says, all right, let's pray. <laughs> right? All the time he's praying, and then sometimes he prays, and nothing happens. So he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, and he's like, all right, we tried, we failed, but let's, let's go option B. The King James says it like this, let this cup pass from me, right? Like, we, I see where we're headed. I don't like it so much. Can we go elsewhere? Let this cup pass from me. Let's go with a different option. Let's go somewhere else. How about I go to, back to Galilee? We had some success there, right? right? No one's trying to kill me there. Let's do that. And he prays, right? Jesus prays until... It's Jesus who changes, right? It's in, Jesus prays until he says, not my will, but your will. He prays until the point where his will changes to match the will of the Father. I just, I just find, that, I find that fascinating. But I want to be clear on this. I'm not saying, I'm not like a fatalist here that thinks that everything that is, is, and, and there's nothing that we do, we're just kind of robots in the system. I'm not saying that God is impassable, even though I know that's a, a common Christian thing to say, you know, that God doesn't change. Um, I know the psalmist says the same yesterday and today forever, but I don't think that that means, like, doesn't change like Aristotle's unmoved mover doesn't change. I think it means that he's consistent. He's, he's always himself. You can always count on him. Uh, I find this in Phil, actually. I feel like I can always go to Phil. I feel like Phil is always Phil. He's, he's reliable. Uh, I know what I'm going to get, you know, when, when, I, when I go to him for something. This is what a good father's like, right? The good father can be trusted. The good father is steadfast. But again, it's not like Aristotle's unmoved mover. It's more what Clark Pinnock said, that God is the most moved mover, that God is touched by our infirmities. He does care for us. He does respond to us. Uh, the, the children of uh, the Hebrews cried out while they were in slavery, and it said God heard their cries and came and delivered them. Right? He does respond to us. He's in relationship with us. But on the one hand, if God's in relationship with us, I don't want, I don't want to say... And I don't want to encourage, again, that idea that somehow our prayers are kind of God training, <laughs> you know, like trying to train God in how to behave, like God give me this or God provide that for so-and-so or, or for whoever. It's, again, all the goodness, um, all the truth, all, all the love, all the mercy is God. God is love. God is light. Our very definitions of what all those things mean rest in who he is. So uh, I, I, heard, I had a one friend uh, describe it something like this, uh, coming back around to the pizza analogy. Um, sometimes I'll still make pizza uh, for the girls. Uh, used to be we made my own dough and own, own sauce, but we don't do that anymore, uh, partially because we made it in 50-gallon uh, jugs, and we just don't, you know, don't have that many people to feed. Um, but, but sometimes Andrew will pick up the dough, like from Publix, and uh, we'll roll it out, and I stretch it and throw it in the air. 
and the girls love it, right? And so they'll come into the kitchen partially to watch and partially to participate, right? They can, uh, they can do the sauce, or they can do the cheese, or they can cut the vegetables, or they can separate the pepperoni, or they can eat the extra pepperoni, you know? It's, uh, sometimes I think our prayers are a bit like that. It's that our prayers are God's invitation for us to join in with him in the work of God. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that, again, that reality rests on our prayers. Reality rests on the goodness of God. But God is loving and relational and wants us to participate. Like, I love to have my girls with me in the kitchen. It's, it's far more fun to have them with me as opposed to do it alone. And as they're with me, they're learning things. They're learning things that I would be very happy if they kind of taught their children in the future. You know, family secrets on the, in the pizza trade. Um, and the same then, I think, is with us and God, right? I think as we pray, we can become more like God. Like the very practice of the prayer will make us more like God so that we start to pray the way God would have us pray. And it is that very prayer that kind of shapes us into the people then that God wants us to be, so that improves how we actually pray. There's a, a, another passage that says that, that if we set our heart on God, God will fulfill the desires of our heart. Often we quote the second half of that phrase without the first, that God will fulfill the desires of our heart. That sounds good, right? Desires of my heart would have been for the Florida Gators to win yesterday. That didn't happen. Desires of my heart for the Redskins to win, just any time. <laughs> right? Don't see that happening. <laughs> Maybe today. Um, but it's not God will just fulfill the desires of your heart. Your heart might, might need some um, improving, right? Your desires of your heart might be, might be greedy or, or lustful or, 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 or all sorts of things. It's when we set our hearts on God that God fills, fulfills the desires of our heart. Right? It's when we kind of, uh, we're with God and God's character and God's demeanor rubs off on us. Right? And, and then God fulfills the desires of our heart. He fulfills the desires of our heart because we're there with him. So I think this is a very interesting part of, of, of the Lucan parable. This ask, seek, and knock, I, I, it's a great, great um, kind of teaching uh, phrase. Right? It's got that kind of repetition, you know, kind of comes in. Uh, we, we see it in Matthew as well, you know, Jesus kind of saying this kind of stuff. What's interesting, if I'm not splitting hairs too much, in Matthew, when Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock, what we end up receiving if we ask, seek, and knock is good things. It's like God's a provider and God will care for us. And I think that's, that's true. But what I like even better about the way Luke tells the story is that once we ask and once we seek and once we knock, what do we receive? The Holy Spirit. We receive the very presence of God. Listen, nothing is more important in parenting, nothing is more important in relationships, nothing is more important in, in, in Christianity and spirituality than this, this idea presence. God is always present. 
God is always with us. Sometimes we want to ask the question, why has this happened or why has that happened? And we don't always get the answer we want. And sometimes we don't get an answer at all. Except for this, I am with you. I will never forsake you. Seek after me. Ask, seek, and knock, and you get me. Come at me. Love me. I love you. More than anything, I think our children just want our presence. They want to be with us. There's, there's nothing more important than this. If something, something bad happens in your life, you don't need someone coming to give you lots of words. Look, if, if you're sick and you're in the hospital, I'm happy to come visit you. But mostly, I'm just coming to be with you. I don't have any magic words to share. I don't have any magic beans for you to plant in your backyard. It's going to solve all your economic woes. But we're in this together. It's the God that we serve. It's part of the Lord's Prayer, which, of course, this parable about the, about the persistent neighbor um, is a parable about prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer itself, I think it expresses this in beautiful ways. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What am I praying for? What are we praying for? We're praying that God's kingdom will come to earth as it already is in heaven. We're praying that God's will will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Going back to the idea of the, of the impassable God, that God's will is already done everywhere. And then when evil happens, we have to answer, well, well, I don't guess I understand who God is because all these bad things are happening. But what if, what if our prayer really is about something? What if, in a very real way, God's kingdom is coming but not yet fully here? God's will is happening in heaven but not yet fully on earth. So we're, we're encouraged to pray for it. This makes sense to me. When I look around and I see, I see the struggles that people have, I have to ask myself, man, is that the will of God? And if God's will is coming, but not yet fully here, I can pray for it and even work for it. But then understand that in some real sense, we're caught in this between between the promise of the kingdom and the consummation of the kingdom. Between Jesus saying, the kingdom, of, the kingdom of God is at hand, it looks like this, but yet I'm looking around and it ain't looking like that. <laughs> and so what is God doing in the midst of all these things? I think God is present. God is present with us. We've asked, we've sought, we've knocked, and we've received his spirit. Where's God in the midst of hard times? He's with us. When Jesus was on the cross, his father was with him. He might not have felt like it. Right? He cries, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Which, by the way, doesn't mean that the Father had forsaken him. It means that Jesus felt like he was forsaken. For where was God in that? I think God was with him. Where is God with us when we struggle? I think he's with us. I think when I cry, he cries. The only time I ever saw my father cry was when I cried. And it wasn't because I cried because I got in a, a bee sting. One time he kind of told me to toughen up a little bit. <laughs> but it's when I went to the altar and I prayed and I, and I cried and I stood up and turned around and there were tears just coming down his cheeks. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, loves us more than we love ourselves, knows us better than we know ourselves, wants to be with us. But as, as again, kind of the healthy, most well-adjusted version of what a parent would look like, is not ready to do some kind of codependency relationship where, where we just go when we need something. Right? God's not an enabler. You know these terms, right? These kind of unhealthy relationships. God's willing to take a step back, seeming with, without offense, and wait for us. Wait for us to grow up. Wait for us to lean in. Right? Sometimes, and I think this can happen a lot, people can, can make a profession of faith, they get kind of excited about being a Christian, and they, they have a lot of the, 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 the feels, you know, feels good, right? And that's great. That's kind of how all relationships work, right? You meet somebody, you're attracted to them, you know, uh, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a romantic interest, but, but, you know, there's all this kind of excitement and frenzy. But then we're not quite sure how to move, transition into that next part of the relationship. Uh, kids grow up, we're not quite sure how to have the parent-kid relationship anymore. All sorts of things. So I think sometimes God, I'm going to say withdrawals, waiting for us to ask, seek, and knock. Waiting for us to kind of get over ourselves and find out what we truly long for, which I think is God. I think what we truly long for, whether we know it or not, is God. I think we long for a relationship with our Creator. We long for a relationship with the very lover of our souls. We long for this relationship for the one who has forgiven us, who has called us. And, and when we get that right, when we grow up a bit and realize it, we start asking, seeking, and knocking, He's right there waiting where he's been all along. The Holy Spirit given to us. The very presence of God. That which hovered over the waters of creation. That which gives life. That which sustains life. That which inspires prophecy. That which um, inspires the church. As the church and the Spirit Say in unison, come quickly, Lord Jesus. 
Let's bring this, let's get this reunion started. Today, um, we're going to have a time of prayer. So uh, we do this periodically. We haven't done it in a while. But we've, we've set out some stools. Um, you can either come and sit at them or you can come and kneel at them. We set out some, some um, pillows. You can kneel on them. You could come and stand and pray. You could come and kneel and pray. You could sit in your seat and pray. You could turn and make your seat a little altar. The beautiful thing about altars in, in religions is that they're kind of consecrated places where we meet God. It's, the, it's this um, place of asking, seeking, and knocking. It's this place of kind of committal. It's this place of relationship. It's this place of, of conversation. So we've already come to the table today and been accepted, been loved, been forgiven. But I'm going to ask you now if you would stand. And for those of you who would uh, feel so inclined to come and pray, to ask, to seek, to knock, and I tell you, we can trust in our Heavenly Father that His presence will be there. That the Holy Spirit will be given. Come and pray.